Can I have 50p for my locker? Is that locker room banter? Can a woman be president or do you need a manta? The listeners seem to have been a bit surprised by your announcement of your recent marriage, Ollie, in uh, episode 341. A bit surprised and a bit turned down. (laughs) Because you had said so many times before, I'm not going to get married. Mm. In fact, you talked quite a lot about your hypothetical marriage in the past. (laughs) Plans if you were ever to get married, which at the time you weren't planning to, so those plans could just be elaborate fiction. Callum, who is 15 and normally in Inverness, but currently on holiday in India, says, I invested in 50 back episodes of Answer Me This, available now at answermethisstore.com. I was listening to Answer Me This episode 173, and I noticed that Ollie said that if he ever got married, he would like to dance to... I'm going to be snookering you, snookering you tonight at your wedding. I think that would be the best first dance possible. That is what you said. In light of recent events, this stood out to me. So Ollie answered me this. Did you dance to I'm going to be snookering you, snookering you tonight? Big break. You've got to say big break. (laughs) Well, we didn't have a first dance at all. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we didn't dance to the snooker song. It's that we didn't dance to anything. There was a man playing acoustic Spanish guitar... Um, did, did you go up to him and say, do you know this one? <laughs> I don't think, even in the Costa del Sol, that Chaz and Dave is on the repertoire of the average Spanish guitarist. <laughs> I would be surprised if it wasn't. Anyway, point is, no, we didn't dance the snooker song, but it's not too late for us to dance to a whole medley of songs from The Hunting of the Snark. I'd really like to do The Pig Must Die. Uh, how does that go? Let's teach him a lesson he'll never forget. For a devious deed, he will live to regret. It's clear that the pig must die. That's, That's what you consummated to. <laughs> Danny from Hastings. So why do cafes always put your cake or your sandwich on a serviette on the plate? You want to, you want to cut the cake or the, or the sandwich? It's stuck to the serviette. You want to wipe your mouth with the serviette? It's covered in cake. That is fresh anger, isn't it? He's about to flip some tables over. There's going to be crockery <laughs> and cake everywhere. I just wanted a clean mouth and it's covered in cake. <laughs> Bet Danny gets absolutely livid when he sees a doily all the inconvenience of the plate serviette, <laughs> none of the wiping. What are they for, eh? I think Danny is uh, exemplifying the advantage of the cupcake here. There's no advantage of the cupcake. But the advantage of the cupcake, Helen, is it, that the cupcake comes in its own wrapping, so they don't put a serviette under it, so you don't have this issue. You don't dirty the serviette. It's a structural nightmare. <laughs> 40% icing on top. I mean, okay, I'm saying You need cupcake. all the serviettes in the world. I mean, cupcake to represent any individualised portion of cake, I suppose. I mean, yeah. the same would go for an iced fancy. A muffin. Or a muffin. I'd appreciate it if uh, listeners who have insight into this process, maybe they've worked in a cafe, because... I reckon there's probably a practical reason for this. Like when you're carrying the food around, it's less likely to slip off the plate. That was my guess, yeah. Or could it be so that the food is unaffected so much by the plate being hot or cold? Hmm. Or is it too difficult for them to carry the serviette separately without dropping it? Or is it to make the plate look less empty? Because if you've just got a sandwich there, it's rare that the serviette is on the plate when your sandwich has a side salad or when your cake has some cream or some strawberries next to it. Hmm. So is it to give the impression that the plate is not just this naked plate with one thing slapped on it? That would be funny, wouldn't it? If it was like, uh, would you uh, like a slice of lemon drizzle cake? Yep, it comes with a uh, serviette garnish. (laughs) 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 What does it come with? Well, it's just a thin slice of tissue paper with um, (laughs) the shop 
chalkboard cake on the top. Yeah, with a cake yeah. garnish. Yeah. <laughs> garnish. Hi, Helen and Ollie. It's Joe from Watford. I went to a restaurant with my partner last night and I was sat behind a family with a baby. Normally, this isn't a problem for me, but the baby needed changing the whole time that we were there and the parents didn't seem to notice. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Is it ever acceptable to say to parents of the young baby that the baby needs changing or do I just have to uh, sit there and be put completely off my food? I didn't actually eat anything that evening because it was so bad. The danger with saying anything to the parents is chances are they've survived on very little sleep and they could just turn around and attack you with a steak knife. And also, if they're still there and you're still there, even if you get what you want, which is the absence of poo stench, Mm. you're not going to feel comfortable and have an enjoyable meal, are you? So either way, your meal is ruined. But the restaurant staff have probably dealt with this kind of thing before. It can't be that uncommon. Mm. And it is their job to give you and the diners with the baby a good restaurant experience, isn't it? So you could have a word with the service staff and see if they've got a plan. Yeah, that's true. Or if you could be moved further away. Because that's that's right. I, I think if I overheard people on the next table say that they couldn't eat because of the smell of my baby's crap, I'd be mortified. But if a manager of a restaurant came up to me and said, I'm terribly sorry, so preemptively, as if no mm. one had complained, yeah, I couldn't help noticing that, you know, well, how would they put it? I couldn't help noticing that you might need to find our baby changing facilities. Yes, very good. Um, I, I'd be less offended. I'd think, okay, they're subtly trying to tell me that there's a smell. Because the thing is, often, I guess, parents of babies don't know their own babies stink. I mean, I, you notice when the baby's done a crap, right? But if it's a general kind of pooped his pants three hours ago kind of aroma, Ooh. I think it's a bit like people who don't know the smell of their own pets at in their house mm. you know, they don't know that their carpets will stink i think also um if the baby has been sitting in its own crap for quite a while mm. probably not going to be that happy so a parent might want to decrap the baby for the baby's own sake well to be honest by the time you've made it out for dinner you're kind of just hoping that you forget that the baby's there for a bit <laughs> uh, actually the other week my wife and i my wife and i <laughs> thank you thank you uh were uh, driving to cheltenham um, I was doing a bit of work and she came along for the ride. Baby had to come with us. Um, and, um, Suck it, Harvey. Uh, and- I want to stay at home and watch Netflix. No. <laughs> and en route, we stopped off for dinner in Oxford. And that was very much the kind of thing we used to do. Yes. And we chanced it. He'd fallen asleep in the car on the way to Oxford, which is what we'd hoped. Like okay. the plan was get him out the car, put him under the table in the car seat. Yep. But unfortunately, he woke up in the car seat on transit into the restaurant. Oh, Harvey. But we just selfishly followed through with our plans anyway, even though he wanted to be changed and, you know, put back in the car to sleep. And every other diner in the restaurant wanted him not to be there. I really wanted my uh, Lambuna. So um, you're not the boss of me and the Boona, Harvey. <laughs> so we put him under the table and rocked him with our feet even though he was clearly stirring and crying mm-hmm. um, and then when subsequent diners came into the restaurant I pretended not to know where the noise was coming from as well <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't say anything explicitly but like when they looked around when they heard a wind you know I also looked around as if I went well, who is that's a funny noise in a restaurant can't see my foot moving <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, just because I just wanted to pretend he wasn't there for a bit so they're right. kind of in denial is what I'm saying does a, does a parent really not notice if their child is Chat themselves when they're trying to eat uh, yeah when they're trying to eat because presumably if the baby was right next to them that's an even more intense 
odor than than the next table my fear would be that it's not a current cack your pants situation but that the baby's wearing clothes that previously it's cacked into ah, and they can't even smell it anymore ah, that's right. the danger so it's just ingrained i, did, yeah. I was gonna ask our parents new especially new parents just used to everything smelling of shit yeah. the whole time <laughs> sounds delightful yeah it does seem magical why did why did we opt out of this i don't know if you got a question, got a question, question email your question, email question to answer to me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com It's great, it's great. Elliot has been in touch with two questions of showbiz. The first is this. Helen, answer me this. Is there really an Oscars curse? Was, uh, Oscar Wilde. He didn't have a very happy end, did he? Oscar the Grouch. Oscar the Grouch, yeah. Always in a, a bin. Very bad mate. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Always very unhappy. Well, that's two for two so far. <laughs> Oscar Pistorius. Oscar Pistorius, yeah. Oh, God. That's <laughs> true. Um, Helen, answer me this. Why do so many Best Actor winners fade into obscurity? I'm thinking Hilary Swank. Hilary Swank is the example that everyone uses because the the Best Actor curse seems only to obtain to the female actors. Oh, I can think of male actor winners that haven't done much since winning an Oscar. Yeah, but people are always saying, oh, you know, Halle Berry won and then she made Catwoman and her career bombed. Reese Witherspoon made a load of rubbish romantic comedies. That doesn't seem to happen so much to the men. Well, the men that it happens to, I suppose, are more the men that are getting an Oscar because they're 90 and they were famous 50 years ago anyway. And <laughs> like it's just Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I do think age is uh, something to do with it because you get Best Actress uh, winners like Helen Mirren and Julianne Moore and Kate Blanchett where it's far enough into their career that mm. they're pretty much fine. But the ones who are in their 20s or early 30s, realistically, the roles are about to dry up until they're old enough to play mums at yes. that point mm. anyway so there's that problem but also just maybe it cranks your fee up more so then the films often get worse so it'll often be like someone's paid 20 million quid to play Catwoman and it's a really rubbish film but I suppose like the more money there is the more risk averse they are and the worse the film tends to be yeah that's interesting I also wonder as well whether if the Oscar is Hollywood's recognition that you have reached peak you you know this is your best role this is the mm. best thing you've ever done and it's the best thing that year or, or not the best thing you've ever done because you've already done that but they failed to reward you at the time that like, does seem to be a really common thing doesn't it like sandra bullock she has done better work than the blind side that she won it for but everyone loves sandra bullock so like yeah but you also don't really win an oscar for comedy do you still less romantic comedy so it's partly the fact that she's just done a drama but but anyway, but if Hollywood is saying you've reached the moment where this is your perfect moment this is your perfect role it could just be that that's right it could just be that lightning won't strike twice and actually there aren't Oscar caliber performances that are in every actor on multiple bases. Or do you think actors just go, well, where do I go from here? I may as well just make some bank until I retire. Like Meryl Streep did. <laughs> so, okay, well, <laughs> she really took the foot off the accelerator. Well, that's what I mean. There are exceptions to the rule, yes. But a lot of people, I think, just kind of think, yeah, that was my Oscar film. You know, like mm. you, not everyone's going to go off and be intense like Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, six years off, trained to be a, what was he, a, a clog maker or something come back having you know sat around with people with manic depression for five years looking at a lake you know some people are just going to be like yeah i want to do a, i want to do a marvel movie i mean even some of the greatest actors i mean i'm thinking of male actors i suppose like robert de niro and um marlon brandy but they both did really some quite dull films towards the end of their careers I mean, well, anthony hopkins current example right right what was know. the last good film that he did 
fuck knows had he died after the remains of the day everyone would be like oh my god anthony hopkins what a great yeah, actor yeah, he was always yeah. a great actor but then people see him in mission impossible 3 or whatever and they're like oh he saw that but all he needs to do is come back with one film where it's like this is my serious oscar bid yeah like matthew mcconaughey or michael keaton worked a treat for them yeah or like reese witherspoon because she made absolute shit after walk the line and then she did wild so all these frothy romantic comedies and then wild which looked very uncomfortable to film because it was on in the sierra nevada i didn't see it but what was stephen fry doing in the sierra nevada oh god the curse of the oscar (laughs) but actually uh the curse of the oscar that does have a little more traction is the one that the women who win best actress get divorced and right. out of the last few, that has happened a lot. So you have mm. Reese Witherspoon, Kate Winslet, Sandra Bullock, Halle Berry. That's quite a lot already in uh, the last mm. 15-ish years or so. But that, isn't that just because most marriages in Hollywood don't last? Well, there is that, yeah. See, I don't necessarily agree that this is just about actresses versus actors, because I think you could find actors in a similar scenario. But I do think it is about the performers, because no one ever says, oh, Roger Cohen, after he won an SFX award for, you know, Independence Day. <laughs> what happened to, you know, he didn't get recognised at all for The Lost World. You know, no one even looks at that shit. The curse of the grading technician. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think it's just people like to have something to say about film stars because it's an exciting world to talk about. It was nice this year, though, when the costume designer Jenny Bevan got all that press, albeit for her looking scruffy in people's eyes yeah. compared to red carpet people, but still the fact well, she that... she did look scruffy. She was a costume designer. She knew what she was doing. Yeah. She was but... making a point. Yeah, but yeah. someone finally was talking about costume designer yeah. <laughs> and not one of the glamorous jobs that is true yeah that's a tactic for you colleen atwood if you ever want it to be your time <laughs> elliot's second question of showbiz is ollie answer me this mm-hmm. why are musical supergroups always shit uh-huh. what's been the most successful supergroup of them all i'm guessing not the one with joss stone and mick jagger from a few years ago how's that supergroup well that was a supergroup who was wasn't it damien marley okay i know son uh, of someone okay famous. right a.r okay. rackman uh, and okay, Dave Stewart Indian composer uh, okay, Dave fucking Stewart it doesn't matter okay. your personal he shits up any super it doesn't matter it's a super group shits it up they're five successful artists in their own right it's a super group sure. so that's the son of one I mean that just sounds like a, some sort of weird lottery doesn't it I'd never heard of it actually I only am so they... fresh with this information on uh, super heavy they were called super heavy oh yeah. very good uh, right. apparently they were formed on Paul Allen's yacht Who's Paul, Paul Allen? Allen? Paul Allen's the one that runs Microsoft that isn't Bill Gates. Right. And uh, he let them use his super yacht because... It's got I a mean, recording studio. To be it. fair, I mean, Martin may be underwhelmed, but I think if the news had got out that Mick Jagger was in a new band, that might have stirred some pots. So uh, they couldn't really work in any recording studios anywhere in the world without being recognised. So they uh, recorded all in his yacht in a week. Right which is uh, a 414-foot mega yacht called Octopus with two <laughs> helicopters, two submarines and a jet ski dock. I wonder how that album did. Uh, I've done some real power Googling around this and to find the most successful supergroup by album sales, I mean, basically no one's ever written that article, no one's ever written that listicle in oh, a way that's searchable. Damn it. So yes, I'm sure I could go through every single bit of data for the Travelling Wilburys. <laughs> do life a spreadsheet mm. yeah. for them, the Smoking Mojo Filters. <laughs> Who's in Smoking Mojo Filters? Paul McCartney, Paul Weller, all the Pauls, uh, Noel Gallagher, Steve Craddock, who was he from Ocean Colour Scene, Steve White and Carlene Anderson. I don't know who half those people are. Steve White is a drummer who used to work with the Star Council. In any case, I think my answer probably is right if you did go through the data. I'm bending the rules a bit to include it as a supergroup. Mm-hmm. The three tenors. 
Oh yeah, I yeah, that's fair. Yeah, okay. That's fair because that was the biggest selling classical music album of all time. So even and, if and I'm slightly so. off, I reckon I'm in the right ballpark there. And how do you define a supergroup? Well, I think it's artists that are known in their own right coming together to work on a new project. Um, but they have to be artists that are pretty well acclaimed because some people put Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds as a supergroup. Well, that's Nick Cave and his rotating band. Exactly. I'm not aware that I've ever heard a Nick Cave song that isn't Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. So I didn't even know that was a... oh Grinder Man. That's a that's a, oh, that's a super group. Things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Warren. Uh, what's his name? Warren Ellis from the Dirty Three. That other the, the other very well known band. And some people put Gorillas as well as a supergroup. I I can see the reasoning. That's interesting. For that. yeah, but yeah. It, that's more a collaboration because I think you're putting the animated characters front and center there. It's not quite the same as selling it on the basis like people didn't even know necessarily who constituted gorillas when they first started yeah and also at what point is it a super group and at what point is it just people having a new job because their old job finished i think that question actually hints at a truth underneath elliot's question you know why, why are they always shit i don't think it's that they're shit i think often the motivation is um people who have had their careers you know they've won their oscar or equivalent in musical terms and now they want to do something to expend their creativity because they can easily make another record in the style they've done before the whole point is they want to experiment and do something different and inevitably these things become very high profile but really it's usually millionaires dicking around in someone's home studio isn't it and typically that isn't going to be as good as someone's passion project but it's a chance for them to do something different so i think Mm. often it's just set up that it's not going to be as compelling a listen and yet a duo composed of some of those people i think would work a lot better why is it that it just really falls off quite quickly the more people you add the level of interest and interestingness because it's difficult to get a group which is genuinely composed of really great musicians isn't it like that like like that one you were talking about with the the, the smoke emoji filters like who, <laughs> who really cares who paul weller's drummer is like even people who care about mm. paul weller in a, minor, or in a minority they probably couldn't name the drummer ouch poor steve white <laughs> sorry steve white i'm sure you're a really good drummer but i you know I, li- I quite like the one that um, Franz Ferdinand did with Sparks last year. Is that a supergroup oh. or just a collaboration? I think that's a collaboration. I think supergroup needs three or more elements. I agree. I think that's right. So, yeah, three tenors counts, right? Or as my dad used to call them, 30 quid. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Does she and him count as a supergroup? No, it's a duo. I think it's fair to say they're not going to be the best-selling supergroup of all time. What do you mean? Their Christmas album did quite well. Monsters of Folk, anyone? (laughs) Future Sounds of Jazz, guys! (laughs) I think now, like so many of these people's careers, when they form a supergroup, it's time for us to take a break for the intermission. Today, I'd like to hear a bit from, I think, what is possibly my all-time favourite episode of Answer Me This. Oh, wow. Which is what? It's 200. Oh, okay, yeah, episode two hundred. Bittersweet, because because that has your your recently departed dad in it. It does. I I think episode two hundred, at the time, was one of my favourites. But it's it's not a textbook episode of Answer Me This. No, is it, it isn't. And that's why it's that's why it's good. But it wouldn't be the one that you'd introduce people to the show with. No, it's atypical. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. For so. listeners who have joined us in the last five years, what, <laughs> what we did for episode two hundred is um, we thought should we do a kind of celebrity special? Because and in so many ways we did. In many ways we did. Who are bigger celebrities in the eyes of our listeners than our own families? Don't answer that. So mm-hmm. we went and met uh, Helen's parents. I've met them before, actually. Yes, yes. We, the royal we. I've met them as well. Martin's sister and Martin's parents okay. as well. Martin's mum is really sassy in episode 200. I saw a new side of her. Yeah, toadfish love. 
Uh, my grandma's in it. She, yeah, she's oh, great. Oh, that's nice. I'd remembered that when we went to your grandma's flat to record with her, she had toilet paper with her own name on it. And I was wondering whether she put that out, especially because we were coming, or whether all of her toilet paper has her name written on it. I'd never noticed that my grandmother has toilet paper with her name on it, so that may have been commissioned especially for you. Her name is Andrex. <laughs> but anyway, if you want to listen to episode 200 or the 199 episodes that preceded it. Or if you want to buy any of our albums or our best of collections. They're all available at our very own store answermethisstore.com Were you aware of Martin having any little crushes when he was younger? When he was about 12 months old we were <laughs> He really we, started early didn't yeah, he? Yeah he did we were, we were in, um, uh, in a pub and a very glamorous waitress passed and I thought Martin's head was going to fall off his shoulders <laughs> as he followed her. But then after the physics took over, you thought, well, that's the end of all that ladies' man business. Yes, agreed. <laughs> we read today that Skype are going to discontinue personalised voicemails. Um, so at the moment, if you call the Answer Me This question line, you get to hear Helen, but that might not last for much longer. So um, this is your last chance. Yeah, if you want to hear a 10 second voicemail from me, then dial the following number. But I don't think people do listen to my voicemail that much because it does say leave your name and question. A lot of people forget to leave their names. Yeah, I think they get um, just excited, don't they? They're, they're adrenalised. It's their big moment. The questionnaire we're about to hear from gives his name and uh, has a hell of a story to tell. I'm looking forward to it. Hi, Helen and Ollie. Um, my name's Simon. And uh, I have a friend who's... Um, I'm 45 and he's about 10 years younger than me. Um, he started seeing a, a woman who's about my age. And before um, he actually introduced me to her, he told me a bit about her. And she found it quite interesting. Um, Cordon Bleu Chef apparently, um, who had previously been uh, uh, teaching the special forces how to do climbing. Um, I thought, gosh, what a powerhouse of talent this person is going to be. Um, when I met her, uh, she added to her sort of, her sort of great repertoire of uh, skills that she, um, she had been to Oxbridge University, um, that she uh, was a, a nurse, um, in a school for the deaf, and she spoke fluent French, and she thought my apartment looked very yen, she said. So um, pretty obviously, she's um, a complete pathological liar. Just about nothing she says checks out. She hasn't had enough time to do most of the things that she uh, claims to have done. And uh, you can tell just from talking to her that she, she never went to Oxford or Cambridge, let alone both. Um, my mate, though, is absolutely besotted and completely overcome in this kind of fog of testosterone. Um, and uh, I don't really know if it's, <laughs> if it's fair to tell him. Or, and I he's pretty guileless as well. I think if I told him, he'd almost certainly kind of go and tell her that I'd told him that, um, that she kind of uh, talks a load of bullshit. So what do you think? Should I... Um, should I sort of put an end to his happiness by injecting the cold steel of uh, cynicism or just watch him kind of sleepwalk towards disaster? Uh, yes, answer me this, Helen Emily. I like the fact that he laid out the ages quite specifically 
as if Simon's like, I know that this woman's full of shit because we're both about 45. Yeah, I picked that up 35s too. 35s wouldn't get this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 35 year olds would not get that Oxbridge is not a university. <laughs> yeah, just a hint of the sense as well that maybe, you know, this woman wants to keep hold of this younger man so has maybe invented some stuff too. Yeah, maybe she's trying to impress him in the first days of their relationship. Although... So I look at this from the point of view of someone who has a friend who bullshits incessantly. Like I have a friend uh-huh. who I'd go as far to say is a pathological liar. What was your first clue to their pathological lying? Like how long did it take before you realised that they were bullshitting? Was it quick? Or was it years where you were like, oh, these things don't really add up? I, I, I can't realized. really give specific examples without that person realising no, I'm talking about You don't about have them. to. I'm just interested no, in No, no, but there was scales. a specific example. Okay, okay. <laughs> there was one claim that they made that was so ridiculous that it made me check out everything else in my head. I'll give I you am e- Princess Diana. <laughs> <laughs> it was the equivalent of if I said to you, Helen, that I am on the British Olympic teams for rowing. It was something right. that ridiculous. Okay. I was like, oh, okay, so everything you say is bullshit. I see. Uh, right. Um, and until then, I'd, I'd sort of thought maybe they were prone to exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I reassessed everything they told me. And I, but, the, but the point is, I realised that it came out of their insecurities. Oh, gosh, yes. And I thought, well, I could address this. It's a shame that this person feels they need to do this. I could address it head on and say, look, I know that's not true. You don't need to lie to me about that because, you know, I, I like you as a friend anyway. I, it doesn't matter. But then that then becomes all about me, not about them. And actually I thought, it's fine for me to just know that they're a bullshitter and just treat everything they say with a pinch of salt that's fine mm-hmm. so that's how i treat them now i just ignore half of what they say as if it's complete fiction because it is and are you worried about the people with whom they're in relationships a little mm-hmm. but their relationships don't last very long <laughs> fancy that and i think it might be for that reason but that's kind of none of my business so i suppose the thing that i'm saying is for her to pretend that she's a cordon bleu chef presume she's quite good in the kitchen so at least Great. your mate is getting a good meal out of this or a meal that he thinks is good because uh, he's so impressionable she's a convincing liar yeah um so you know he's getting well fed he's in love i think you could say to him i'm not sure this checks out and it sounds like bullshit to me and there is no oxbridge university <laughs> but really he's just gonna think oh okay well maybe that's not true what she said i'm not sure he's gonna go straight back to her and say um why are you lying to me? Because he's in love with her. And also, probably, if you confronted her, she'd come up with a different lie. There are people who are Renaissance men and women who do a bit yeah. of everything. It is possible. It's unusual. It is very unusual, though, isn't it? It's not her fault she's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think, though, if this is a load of shit, it's slightly difficult to deal with because it hints at instability in her mm. and that you have to handle carefully. Yeah. Like, if she was fine, you go in going, you're talking shit would have different consequences to mm. that she's doing this because uh, she has some mental health issues. Mm. So I don't quite know how you deal with that, except for trying to be friends with her and maybe tease out a little more honest conversation with her and being there to support your friend if things go tits up. Because also they're in the early stages of a relationship, which tend to be quite unbearable for anyone to witness anyway. Um, and once those have worn off um the relationship can be a bit turbulent for a while while you recalibrate for it not being fresh and new anymore so i think you can have a support role but i don't think you can go in there and be like this must end yeah but maybe she is quite casual about the relationship she's not desperate to cling on to your mate simon she's just like oh this will be a bit of a laugh i'll tell him i'm an astronaut like you know (laughs) you know it could just be that it's more interesting you know like at a party sometimes i've been in situations actually i was really annoyed i met a guy a friend of a friend once at a party and he told me he did something for a living i can't remember what it was now um but something like he told me he was a session guitarist Mm -hmm. 
Was he an accountant in he, reality? He was a secondary school teacher, uh-huh. which is perfectly interesting enough. Like, I could have had kitchen bants with him about being an English teacher. But maybe he's sick of talking about yeah. it. I'm sick of talking about what I do for work. So he'd obviously decided, okay, it's a New Year's Eve party. Uh, I think he was on cocaine. I'm never going to speak to this guy again. Let's live my alternate life. Let's pretend I'm a session guitarist. Yeah. So how did you find out? Uh, I said to my friend afterwards, our mutual friend, I said, oh, yeah, that guy who's a session guitarist is really nice. And he's like, who's that? And I said his name. And he was like, oh, no, he's a secondary school teacher. <laughs> and I felt betrayed. But nonetheless, from the point of view of the guy who was actually a secondary school teacher, I imagine that conversation was just a fun way to pass the time. Yeah. So, you know, maybe she's just thinking, this is a laugh. Maybe. You know, why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Nobel scientist. Simon has provided us with this long, complex voicemail. But he still hasn't provided that much psychological insight into his friend or his friend's girlfriend. So we can't really diagnose. We can only speculate um, about them. But one option for Simon would be just to have some fun with it. Play her at her own game. Yeah, be like, oh, yeah, I was at the Cordon Bleu. What year were you? Yeah, same. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we 45s. That's when we went. (laughs) Yeah. Or when she says, where have you come back from? Oh, I've just been climbing Everest. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't see you last weekend. I was building a school for the blind at the top. (laughs) We're opening a cafe that serves only jelly. The markup is immense and then we'll get on the telly. We want a brand ambassador. We're in talks with Nelly. But also Cisco is keen. We've put the full menu on squarespace.com You can choose from raspberry, strawberry, lemon or the green one And our website will look great even when we're bankrupt after year one They're not ready for our jelly Thanks very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. And allowing you listeners to build beautiful websites. Without even knowing code. Oh, you don't... What's code? <laughs> don't know, mate. Um, but yeah, if, if you've never heard of Squarespace before, you've obviously never listened to a podcast. Um, <laughs> but let me praise you for you. They're basically venture capital for podcasts, right? <laughs> Is that not what they do? <laughs> they enable you to create a lovely website using the internet itself. So you have to build a thing offline and then import it. It's all just drop-down menus and templates designed by really world-class designers and you can make something look very beautiful very, very easily. And you make all your changes to the front end as well, mm. uh, which saves a lot of time. I'd and like to make some changes to your front end. Martin. Wow. I wouldn't. I'd leave it just for the way you are. This you're is be- very inappropriate. You're beautiful. Martin. <laughs> if, Martin, you would like to build a shrine to Helen, you could do that <laughs> on Squarespace very, very easily. And if you wanted to sell merch like my toenail clippings or something then it's pretty easy to put in a store interface as well isn't it yeah and and helen wouldn't be any more compressed image wise if you started to look at it on your mobile phone whilst in bed touching yourself that would all be covered (laughs) by squarespace's front end we're married well that's just fantastic well if you want to do that but don't build a website for something (laughs) else go to squarespace.com you can play around with the two-week free trial and then if you want to sign up you can get 10 percent off using the code answer here's a question from ryan who says ollie answer me this where do jewish men get their yarmulkes couples as we call them in northwest london where i'm from they were called kippers uh, in uh, my family as far as i can tell synagogues don't have shops attached for buying such goods are all jews secretly crafty (laughs) and making them themselves do they build them with their horns uh well brian um the rather dull answer is i mean there are judaica shops where you can buy things like menorahs and mezuzahs and that's where you can buy uh, a couple or a yarmulke if you so choose and that's where some of the jazzy ones do come from so um 
like sometimes someone will have like a Manchester United one or a oh, Captain really? America one or something. Huh. Yeah. If you're, you know, a bit of a fun Jew. Is that considered respectful enough for sure? Uh, I think it would be disrespectful on Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're an observant Jew, then you'd have the fun one for your sort of regular day-to-day business meetings right. and stuff. And then you'd have a different one for funerals and whatever. If you are a kind of um, common or garden Jew who only goes occasionally to synagogue, mm-hmm. like twice a year and for high holy days and stuff you're going to have a more conservative colour. And in my experience, those come mostly from other people's weddings. Um, (laughs) So I've never bought a couple in my entire life, but I have a drawer full of about 50 of them at home. 50? Yeah. Such a thief. And that's from... Um, going to weddings and bar mitzvahs as a child. And do you get given them or have you just stolen them? You get given them. So it's it's very frequently a thing that's at the table. Like a wedding favour. Like a wedding favour, yeah. And on the inside there'll be an inscription. Mm-hmm. So I've got all these people's souvenirs. I don't even know who they were. You know, Jonathan's bar mitzvah and whatever. No idea who these people are. Still wearing the couple now. Did you have your own for your bar mitzvah? Yeah, there's <laughs> that's a collector's item for you. Is it like glitter because it was Hollywood themed? <laughs> No, I think mine were purple, if I remember correctly, oh. with a silver trim. When, when Ryan suggests that there could be a, a shop appended to a synagogue, it's actually a sensible idea, isn't yeah. it? Until you realise that most people go there on a Saturday and on the Sabbath you're not allowed to work. Yeah. And you're not allowed to buy stuff, basically, because you're not allowed to carry money. Is there a vending machine outside the synagogue and it works until sundown on Friday, so you can get it on the way in. They do have all kinds of ways of working around the religious Jews. They do. Um, it's almost as if those rules um, are being bent in a way that is not really adherent to the spirituality they're trying to maintain. <laughs> um, so, for example, if you have a Gentile working in the shop, then they could, I guess, sell you a couple, but you wouldn't be able to pay any money for it because you're not allowed to carry money. So you'd, they'd have to find a way for you to choose it without it feeling like you're shopping and you're not allowed to carry either so you'd have to leave it there right anyway it's a bit of a minefield so easier not to have could, the you, wear, in could you wear it though yeah does that count as carrying if someone you, else you're wearing clothes you, yeah. you don't leave the house yeah, naked exactly. on the sabbath yeah i think you probably could wear it but then of course to be in the synagogue in the shop you're already wearing one anyway so what do you do with the one on your head apart from carry it unless you doubled it. up yeah, yeah. <laughs> why not <laughs> anyway, it's complicated that's a good look complicated so this is why but there are shops basically they buy them in shops the shops that aren't in synagogues that yeah. are in high streets in jewish areas and ryan you've never seen one because either you don't live in a particularly jewish area or because you're not jewish you've never noticed them here is a question from greg who has a question about greg the Brilliant. word greg or the part of the word greg because he says helen answer me this are the greg in gregarious and the Greg in egregious. <laughs> I guess both those words do have Greg in, although you pronounce one the Greg ways. and one Grege. You say Greg, I say Grege. Let's call the whole thing Greg. <laughs> um, are those two Gregs related to each other? Are either Gregs connected in some way to my name, Greg? <laughs> in answer to your first question, Greg, yes, they're related to each other. Oh, wow. And gregarious and egregious two very different meanings very much and do you know what i was very surprised to find that the meaning of egregious which currently is terrible mm. used to be the opposite thing and it only ironically came no. to mean terrible it used to be something that was distinguished or excellent huh. so from the latin uh, there was the little particle x that means out of and then the grege means uh, of a flock 
or heard. So it meant you you stood out from the pack. Oh. And, and then irony flipped it. Interesting, because um, it does have... Actually, when you just say the word egregious, it doesn't sound like a bad word. It sounds... It has the tone of a word like auspicious or something, doesn't it? It sounds like something celebratory. Or Pinot Grigio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that is the same Greg in Gregarious, because Gregarious meant disposed to live in flocks. So oh, okay. friendly. Yeah. yeah. But the Greg that is your name is from the ancient Greek for watchful or alert. Oh, okay, so nothing to do with that with being outgoing at all. No, or watching your flocks from which you are distinguished. Okay, so egregious and gregarious are related, but they're not yes. related to Greg. No, exactly, which means you can marry them if you want to, Greg. <laughs> well, we are now at the end of this episode of Answer Me This. Oh, yep, hold yep. your own funeral. But... <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought it'd be quite an interesting podcast to make where you had people planning their own funerals. That's a great idea and for a podcast. Even getting the people on that they'd want to do the elegy. Because essentially, it's someone having the fun of hearing all the praise spouted about them at their funeral whilst oh, not yeah. being dead. But I'm giving you this idea, listeners, if one of you wants to go and make that. Mm. I think that would be a good show. It's a, that is a good format. Yeah, yeah, I like it. You've had that for free, listeners. You've had that for free because at this point, too tired to make it myself. But we will make another episode of Answer Me This in two weeks time if you send us your questions via email phone and skype and our contact details are kept on our website answer me this podcast.com also we have other material for your ears mm. uh, my series the modern man m-a-n-n uh, it's a magazine show about sex and trends and interesting people is back uh, october 25th season three begins uh, we are at modern man m-a-n-n.co.uk and uh, my show, The Illusionist, continues. It does. I have a bullfighter on my show this week. Who do you have? I have a physician talking right. about how disease names uh, may have Nazi origins, so uh, you've got to be wow. careful. Not my, all of them. My guy's a, a 76-year-old matador from Salford. Um, Is there a bullring in Salford? There isn't. He, There's uh, certainly one in Birmingham. What's he do then? Like go to the outlet mall and just uh, see what he can get? Uh, he, he now lives in Marbella. And in fact, okay. I met him there whilst I was out there getting married. Right. That's what I did on my honeymoon. <laughs> we compared to a bullfight. Went and, went and met an old man and talked about how he nearly was gored through the stomach. Does that mean Oof. you can offset the expenses of your whole wedding trip? Because it was <laughs> because that's a legitimate thing to do and I don't think you should be uh, worried about it. Anyway, both episode subjects sound fascinating. Yours slightly less laced with current danger. Hey, a few weeks ago I had some people who were at the actual South Pole. So oh, very that's cool. good. That's good. Both also shows dangerous. are good. You can put them in your ears. Martin has a show too. Uh, song by song, uh, where we talk about every Tom Waits song in chronological order. Which one have you got to? Blue Valentine. If you're interested in Tom Waits or just listening to some music and, and let's talk about it. Look at, him, look at him trying to make it broad at the end. <laughs> <laughs> where do you find it? Uh, songbysongpodcast.com. And uh, just remains for us to say thanks very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. Thank you, chaps. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks, so you better be too. Bye! Bye.